Welcome to the Surviving Healthcare Podcast, and I want to introduce Dr. Tamara Santa Anna, who practices in Lexington, Virginia. She's in her early 60s and has five kids, a successful marriage, and was initially trained as a doctor of chiropractic. However, her practice is now holistic medicine and does not include spinal manipulation. She spent decades studying under the top people in the alternative medicine field, and these included MDs Thomas Levy and David Perlmutter, who wrote the bestseller Grain Brain, among many others. In a moment, I'm going to let her tell you what that means and what she does, but first, I'm going to share my biases. <laughs> you know my history of studying healthcare corruption and how painful it was for me. Remember that I recently turned 70 and old dogs in my age group have a difficult time learning new tricks. All my life, I've been studying a medical thought process that I had not only, that had not only been ruined by corrupt financial interests, but in many cases was being purposefully turned to health destruction by evil forces. And this is not an overstatement and I'm not going to defend it, defend it now. Try to imagine how agonizing it is for me to have another major change in my thinking that another group was doing better medicine than I was. So I've been hanging out with Dr. Tamara for several weeks and soaking up her knowledge and expertise as fast as I can, and I'm a slow learner. She's been helping me with my approach to Parkinson's disease. When I first started thinking about and studying alternative medicine, I thought I could pick it up pick it up in a few months, but I realize now that years of studied, study are required for mastery. I have a secret to share, something you should never tell a blue-eyed blonde woman like Tamara. I put her on my auto-dialer. <laughs> Here's the part about my bad attitude. I've been indoctrinated over and over to believe that holistic medicines are worthless, that chiropractors are dumb as a box of rocks, and that even the terminology of the alternative practices are markers for fraud. I'm trying to learn otherwise. However, you will hear by the way that I interact with Tamara that I'm still transitioning. Did I just use that word? Away from these beliefs. All I can say at this point is that they were right, I was wrong, and I'm sorry. This is not easy for me. If some hostility slips through in my interactions here, you've already heard my excuses. Tamara, take it from here. First, tell me about your hero's journey and then about the principles of functional or holistic medicine. We can spend the rest of the time then telling stories about 10 or so of your successful treatments. Listeners, please bear in mind that Dr. T is extremely modest and unassuming despite all her accomplishments. Tamara, it's, it's up to you. Okay, so I'll take it from here. One of the things that I'd like to very briefly discuss is that alternative work in the health field is basically a different paradigm than the typical allopathic. And so overall, we all should be working for the good of the patient. There are four major differences that I kind of keep in the back of my mind when I'm working with someone. One of them is that we're not going to look at them as an illness. We're not going to look at them as uh, having health unless there is an optimized state of vitality. Secondly, the work that I do is actually research-based. And that sounds funny, but there's research going on right now um, in the Cleveland Clinic 
where they're trying to determine what are the expenses and outcomes of using alternative type therapy versus a typical allopathic method. We also look at a patient um, as an individual. We're not looking at them as the next patient and that we do the same thing over and over. So as we do that, we're looking at their whole body. We're not looking basically at their one illness. So they're not a liver disease to me. So I would, as I, you know, I'm a rookie here, but I would characterize this as saying that you try to bring people back to a state of good health so their own bodies can deal with the disease or the issue at hand uh, and and free future problems too. So that seems to be the most important distinction instead of trying to treat things like fixing an automobile, replacing the carburetor or whatever, and see things as individual systems. Um, the uh, naturopaths or the alternative people try to bring the entire machine into healthy, uh, into healthy function. Yes. And I think it was attributed to Hippocrates that working with a patient, the best thing that you can do is teach them not to need medicine or help. And when I say medicine, I'm incorporating a larger um, field. Hippocrates is an MD, of course. Oh, no, yes. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> and, and so excuse that was a me shot for turning away bell. for a moment. But I think that that it's really important. And I tell that to my patients. I want to teach them as we're as we're going, what is going on so that they become their own best doctors. And they don't need to rely necessarily, not that they shouldn't get care when it's needed, but that they don't need to rely on someone else all the time. It's a lot of coaching, it sounds like. And it's, 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 a, there's so many pieces that I'm sure it takes a while to get, get people up to speed. Tell me first about your, um, how you got to where you are. So uh, I've always been interested in the sciences. I knew I was going to go into some type of related field. My my mother was into nutrition. She had a master's degree in another field, but when she would send out her cards to everybody, it was all about nutrition. So I made sure to think to myself, I'm not going to go into that, um, not <laughs> truly, and, and not really fully comprehending. Once you get into it, you can't get out of it because it's fascinating, it's helpful, and um, you learn so much about what you need and your friends or your family needs. So I became very ill in in 2000. I basically was in bed for roughly five years and many times not even having enough health to turn over. Um, and so I know that if I was that sick for such a prolonged time, that people coming into me that are not quite that sick or not nearly that sick, if I could get better, they could too. And that's what got me interested in learning what would help people and helping people that were in a similar situation to what I was. Tell the story about your illness and what happened. Yes. So eventually I was diagnosed with what is called lupus. And um, I think it was triggered when one of the cats bit me and probably shared some Bartonella or something with me. And that brought this whole stress onto my body. 
So the joints became inflamed. My brain became inflamed and had severe vertigo for months at a time. You were marker negative. You didn't have an ANA, did you? Yes, I did. Oh, you did. Yeah. I had a, a double-stranded DNA. And yes, I, I had all the markers. And so what happened was as I was going through this, I searched a lot. And the biggest thing that I came across was fixing or what they you know, would say ameliorating the amalgams or the mercury fillings in my mouth and the root canals. So that's how many root canals? I, I didn't remember this. How many root canals did you have? Three. Oh my God. That's the worst thing. Yes. That's a yes. double digit and percent of all, all disease in yes. the United States. Root canals alone. It's it very, they're very dangerous. The biological dentist that understood the ramifications of this said to me, I'm not really as concerned about your amalgams as I am about those root canals. Oh my so, God, three root canals. Yes. How long did it take and you to figure at, that out? It took you several years before you read about that. It took me several years. Yeah. Um, just coming across that. And so the bottom line was whether I had an activated infection and or accumulation of mercury past the point where my body could not handle it. It made me really ill. And so I have a lot of empathy for patients that come in that have been chronically ill for years. And I so want to help them find an answer. It took you several years to completely rehabilitate your health and you discovered other um, things you could do with your diet and your exercise and your uh, supplements that improved your health as well, didn't you? Yes. I did early genetic studies on myself just to see what could possibly be going on. And that's when I discovered that I had changes personally where I wasn't able to make much glutathione, which is a, a, an antioxidant in our bodies. And therefore, I wasn't able to get rid of the mercury that I had been exposed to. And most people and, and, process mercury and it, it gets ejected when they have bowel movements and so on and so forth. And uh, when when you hit a threshold where you yes. have too much mercury and you can't, do you actually have high mercury levels? I've forgotten the story. Did you have blood levels? Yes. No one measured that. And, nope. and yep. mercury yep. typically gets stored into other tissues. It wants to get, the body wants to get it out of the, the circulatory system as fast as possible. So no one really thought of that. I basically just figured that out by putting the pieces together. If I would get contact solution in my eyes, my eyes would get really big and bulgy and red. Which so is thimerosal, mercury, preserving. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So my by God. kind of working my way through that, I was able to regain my health. I can now walk and, um, pretty much do anything. Now, my kids did snicker when I said I was going to get ready, ready for a marathon. They didn't think that that was going to happen, but. Uh. Tamara has a tremendous energy and she is keeping me running back and forth by sending me all these links. I mean, it's just, it's drinking water through a fire hose is trying to acquire this stuff. And I'm, I'm a slow learner. So uh, tell us again, tell us about how you studied every three weekends out of four, maybe during your entire professional career by going to these seminars, which is sort of what I did. Only I pro probably didn't do it as aggressively as you. And you've, you've, you've been mentored by the best functional doctors in the country. 
by the best. I, I and they recognize you it. too. They see you at the seminar yes. and they say, Tamara, how are you doing? <laughs> or Nobody they say, ever oh, knew no. who I was. Of course, they I'm say not a you're sitting in front of me. <laughs> I'm not a blue-eyed blonde. <laughs> they never paid any attention to me. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. They didn't want me sitting in the front row in the middle because they knew I would ask questions. But um, yes, every opportunity that I could go to a, a conference, I would go. And many times that was, you know, a three weekends a month. And then uh, learn from what I consider to be the most exciting, dynamic, forward-thinking people. And this included Robert Crayon, who's now deceased, but he had a big, big program every year in Boulder. They called it Boulder Fest. And many of the top names would come and teach us. Who was the Mercury uh, person in uh, Britain that you knew? What was the name? What was the name of that woman? You know, I, I met I met one of the ombudsmen for uh, Meliza, but you actually knew um, the uh, the person who what's what was her name? You know, you remember Vera, 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 Vera Stajkoli or something. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she, she would come too. here to the States and teach us. And she developed a test called Melissa, which is metal Elisa, where they're testing your allergies to heavy metals very brilliant PhD. And she received a lifetime achievement award from, from my academy, which was uh, Academy of Complementary Integrative Medicine with Lee Cowden. Yeah, I was consider considering getting that Melisa test, but uh, I, the time grew short and I got my amalgams all out. And after you have your amalgams pulled, there's so much mercury swimming around in your body that, and my symptoms got worse. So anyway, yes. this is not about me. It's about, about you. So um, tell us anything else about your background that you want to bring out? Not that I can think of. Okay. Just that I'm very grateful every day to be up and at it. And your energy people... level is off the charts. <laughs> it, re it really does help because I'm, I'm running my practice, but I'm also trying to keep learning. And so she has a career as a traditional chiropractor in Santa Ana area was that it? And uh, it saw her seventy patients inland, a day. Yes, the inland seventy patients, is... seventy patients a day for a while, and <laughs> then ended up in uh, Virginia. Um, so the the rest of the interview, I would love to have you tell anecdotes about people who came to see you, and bear in mind that uh, Doctor T gets people at the end of the road after they've tried all the allopathic or standard therapies and they failed and she's she has brought people around in remarkable ways so uh tell us some of those stories i mean that's the most fascinating thing you know it's really exciting because when people come here many times they say to me that they've heard of me and been referred four or five times so i'm like well why did you wait but basically they are using me as that last step. And that might be because there's not quite an understanding about what I do. So as I share some of these examples, you know, I'll put a little bit of detail in so you can start to see what type of practice I'm doing. And it's similar to functional medicine. I call it functional nutrition in that we're looking at that patient individually, but it's more of what I would also call an integrative approach because the patient might be instructed in 
exercise and diet, meditation, yoga, things like that, um, that aren't traditionally used in allopathic medicine. And so when I first meet somebody, I'm going to take a, a good bit of time to ask them, to ask them a lot of questions so that I get a feel for what's going on, how long they've been treating, what have they done? And really Im important is what hasn't worked so far. And by integrating the information that they give me, including all the little tiny details, then we can start working on a plan to get them better. And now here's a strange uh, footnote to this, and that is the chiropractors have been beaten down so far by the medical establishment they're not even allowed to say they're treating patients that's an oddity and uh, when i listen to tamara describe the various uh, very effective medicinal supplements that she uses uh, of course is treatment but that's not in the description of uh, what she's supposed to say she's supposed to say supporting the physiology or something like that so, so sorry to interrupt there no, thank you. I, I think you're absolutely right. Predominantly in our country, we don't treat. It, nobody really treats unless they're using prescription medicine. And that might go back to our big pharma issues that we have. But supporting someone's physiology and any pathways that may not be working optimally, genetically or enzymatically, that is very important. So we are looking at the functioning of a patient's body and what may result in symptoms. I'll use a quick example. Maybe they have yeast on the tongue. Well, it'd be very easy to treat or support that yeast on the tongue. But as a person, we want to look further. Are we? What's going on in the gut that's creating that or creating the sinus infections that are ongoing for that patient. So sometimes it's a simple answer and sometimes it's a lot more complicated. And, and that's where the integration of the, the knowledge from the patient, you know, that they've shared with me. And then what I've learned helps to set that path towards health again. And health isn't just, you know, not having sickness. Health is being vibrant, energetic. So we want to get to that state. So the best way to illustrate this is to go through examples of people you've treated and who were doing very poorly when they came in and what kind of results you got long term. I mean, we've got we've got these stories. They just sound fantastical about uh, people with end stage cancer, cancer and all kinds of things. You know, these autoimmune diseases that uh, Dr. T has actually managed to cure. You know, which is, I mean, these things just, they sound absurd to a standard uh, medical thinker. And it's, and part of that, that feeling is because typically in the paradigms that exist, we're not looking to cure. So if you go in, they're looking to maybe, uh, and this is not to be mean or anything, but support the symptomatology. I, I'm willing to be mean. Okay, tell us, you, tell yeah. us a nice example. But but what I want to do is I want to grab hold of that process and I want to correct it and then see what happens. The body wants to heal. We just need to remove the blockages and give it what it needs in the healing process. And many times, believe it or not, that's nutritional. 
So we might not start with food, but food first is my motto. But we may start with supplements to get them up to a certain point where then we can get them um, healing via foods, you know, and picking different foods that they can take successfully. So you have a story about it. 80 year old fellow who was uh, confused and not thinking well and forgot everything. Yes. The only thing is he was 80, almost 87. 87. <laughs> and I noticed, and I've known him since I was a teenager, most delightful person. And I noticed that he was doing things that were unusual, showing me things when I went to visit his home, showing me his room that was full of his accomplished medals and everything. And the very next day, showing it to me again with no remembrance at all that we had already gone over it very thoroughly. And this concerned me. We had a family history of a specific type of dementia. And so I, I really had a good backup because his wife was very interested and very compliant in us utilizing different things. So in this particular case, I just went right for testing. I try not to do too much testing because it can be expensive, but we did what's called a micronutrient test. And this test let me see which specific nutrients were either insufficient or deficient. Blood and it test. turned out, um, yes, it's a blood yeah. test. And, and it turned out that two of the main ones that were deficient are ones for memory. And I thought, well, that's very interesting. And so we supplied those two his body and made sure that at his age, he was able to digest and then therefore also absorb the, the protein and the, and the B vitamin. And I utilized a few other things. We didn't have to use a lot, but things like stem cell activators, which help the, the nervous system, the central nervous system start to process and some some different brain nutrients and then slowly but very definitively this patient started acting like the man that i knew i think we saw the biggest difference when we added very low dose so i'm talking maybe 10 milligrams or 15 milligrams of lithium we're not talking about that high dose that is used to treat different psychological or psychiatric disorders and that small amount of lithium really aided this brain to come back. So lithium and is over the counter? Over the counter at a small at the smaller yep, doses, yep. but we don't need big doses. Sure. And one of my funniest stories was that I had a patient on it, and we're talking low dose, you know, 15. And the next thing I know, she had told eight of her neighbors about it and they were coming in to get it. <laughs> and at that level, it's not. I know it's not a dangerous um, drug or prescription, but I guess many people feel that difference. And I later went on to read that it's one of the main things that they use to prevent dementia. So that really pleased me because by then I had started using it because it also helps transport certain brain nutrients, helps them transport into the cell. So I was pretty happy that I had inadvertently helped people's brains. So you use folate and what was the other compound that was necessary that was picked up on the blood test? Oh, um, serine. Serine. S-E-R-I-N-E. -S -E -E. And he had a response just to that initially. Yes. 
Yes. Because if you're low in anything, then that's going to be what we call in chemistry, like that limiting factor. So you can't rate, go rate limiting, rate limiting step. Lim- rate yeah, limit, exactly. Rate, yeah. you, you can't go on making more of whatever it is, neurotransmitters or, or enzymes. If you only have so much of something. And he's uh, five years older now or something and he's doing yes. okay. Doing extra, doing extraordinarily well. Well, and, um, Alzheimer's Very is viewed good. as irreversible. You know, Alzheimer's. Well, is viewed I don't as know that he. Yeah, no, yes. he. Yeah, I know his he sister didn't. had. Yeah, his sister had that deficiency. Yeah, diagnosis. But as I said, when someone comes in with memory issues, there's a number of things that we want to look at. You know, vascular health, microcirculation to the brain. Um, before we just jump into some of these heavy duty and very expensive drugs that don't seem to really do some of this reversal that I've seen. And it's very exciting. And, and microcirculation for the brain also helps the eye. So if patients have retinal issues, which is common, way more common than we realize, and you give them microcirculation herbs, their brain actually also improves. <laughs> so those herbs might include ginkgo, goatu cola, and bilberry, for example. Let me put a footnote on the, uh, on the, uh, um, what is the, the drug that you used? The, uh, low dose, uh, what was it? Lithium. Lithium. Yeah. So lithium, when it's used by people like me, allopathic doctors, it's used at higher doses, which are very close to toxic doses, which can kill your kidneys. And yeah. if it requires blood tests monthly to monitor, if it's being used at these higher doses, and if the doctor forgets to do the blood test, you can end up on dialysis. And in fact, I met this guy at the gym who had had that happen to him. The doc- doctors were careless with him. They didn't watch his lithium levels and they killed his kidneys and he was in line for dialysis. And I mean, that's a horrible story. He didn't seem bitter. He didn't seem angry at the doctors. Maybe didn't understand what had happened, but uh, you know. Yes. It's things like that happen very frequently. And it's sad because, you know, sometimes they're just not monitored carefully. What I'm using is low dose. And there's a lot of research on this. People say, oh, that, you know, this is just anecdotal. Well, it's, it could be anecdotal for that particular patient. However, you see it over and over, and then you look at some of the research, and then you realize it's not anecdotal necessarily. A- anecdotes are the, f- the simplest and sometimes remote, most robust form of medical evidence. And for an example yes. is that if 10,000 kids uh, fall down on the floor after their first vaccine shot of any childhood vaccine and start banging their heads and never talk again the rest of their lives, that is a very powerful anecdote. So we don't have to be apologetic about an- anecdotes. Yes. So I you've, agree with you totally. You, you have, um, you know, you have a whole bevy of stories and i i don't want to pick one out of the hat for you go ahead with another one that you like okay well there's one that i I really like and remember this my license does not allow me to comment on medicines so i never tell a patient about a medicine or tell them do or don't take it that's not my role my role is to support them in healing And so many times the patients I see have been through a lot and they have made up their own minds. This one patient had a major heart attack and 
they, they did not want to let him out of the hospital for quite a while because they said the last person that was as clogged up in their arteries as you are died within two weeks. And they that's, really that's confidence were, builder. I'm sorry. That's a confidence builder. Yes, it was. And finally, um, he escaped, got out of the building, but they really wanted to do a bypass. And this patient had looked it up and understood the ramifications of that and the potentials and did not want to go through it. So they, they came to me. We looked at, I know. Can I editorialize about the bypass industry? It, you know, I yes. don't know how many billion dollars it is, but it's uh, each one costs, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, maybe a half million dollars. And there is only one circumstance in which coronary artery bypass surgery, cabbage surgery has been demonstrated to work. And that is in left main disease. That's a two centimeter segment of artery from which springs two other of the heart arteries. And only when you route the blood around this area, is there any perceptible effect in terms of death rate, right? Which is the only thing yes. you really care about. So, you know, first of all, what happens is two to 10% of them die up front of the surgery. And then if they are operating on this one segment of artery and not on the other ones, now they, they promiscuously operate on all the other arteries. It just runs up the bills and makes them feel like they're doing something. But if they are actually are operating in the small area that works, the only improvement is a 20% in mortality improvement in mortality at five years. Just think about that. That's the entirety of the, of the medical evidence that the entire uh, coronary artery bypass grafting surgery is built on. So it's, it's ridiculous. It shouldn't be done virtually. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe there are select patients, but a 20% improvement in your death rate at five years is almost like nothing as far as I can tell. Anyway, sorry to interrupt your story. So this guy no, had that's okay. supposedly if I terminal. I get a patient who has had by, um, bypass surgery. I try to support them with uh, the Nerf 2 activation so that it doesn't get reclogged in within 10 years. So that's an important thing. In this, With this per particular person, I actually sent them out to be evaluated for a procedure where they, they can actually help the body make auxiliary vessels. And he was turned down. And then sent him to get uh, a, a, an MD here in the area that does uh, IV, IV work and is very knowledgeable and I truly trust him. So that was going on. And then we used certain herbs and we used nitric oxide. B and back tried up to one find second. Back up yes. one second. He had EDTA calcium chelation that's, that re removes some of the plaque in theory, right? That's what he had. That's what you referred to. Supposedly, for. yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So Go in ahead, this sorry. case, <laughs> so in this case, after almost seven years, he received one vaccine and within days developed AFib and had another heart attack. Great. And he went back to the same hospital with the same doctor who told him before they went in to do an evaluation, you're going to be much worse this time. So get ready for surgery. So they did an angioplasty well, and what, and what do they see? Uh, angiogram, well, this, angiogram, sorry. When the doctor came back and explained it to the patient, he was a little bit surprised because the placking had diminished by 20% approximately. And he didn't really understand it. 
because um, he so had the, said it's going to be opening, much worse. The opening that is it's measured in terms of blood flow and opening. So the opening was twenty percent bigger, and it was virtually entirely stopped up the first time yes. to the point yes. that he said he was he was going to hit the deck within a few weeks. Yeah. And right. so instead, the he went off to see the wizard, the wizard Tamara, the wizard, and and Tamara got him started on some EDTA chelation, uh, which decreased his plaque and other naturopathic methods, including these herbs. Right. I'm I'm translating translating so I can understand it, not so the listeners can. <laughs> Tamara. Oh, very good. Thank you. Go you did a great Sorry. job. <laughs> and 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 so that I mean, the doctor was puzzled, but one of the other. Uh, physicians that was there seemed to be much more open and friendly. So the patient said to him and explained what he had done. And the doctor said to him, you did the right thing because yes. And I believe that he probably would have gone on much longer if he didn't have the interference from the vaccinations. Vaccination. Yeah, I've heard these stories with uh, growth hormone and testosterone. The people that have big blockages go in to see one of my colleagues. He puts them on both, which is expensive. You know, the growth hormones yet has needs, needs to be injected, and they've had complete clearing of their coronary blockages on a secondary angiogram. Now that sounds like a lie to anybody oh. who's in the standard medicine, but. But I believe it, and I believe it can happen with EDTA chelation, from what I understand from the studies, um, produces tremendous symptomatic improvement in many cases, and so it's well worth it. But the um, the increase in the diameter of the the uh, the inside of the artery is not, it's 10 to 20% at most. It's, sometimes it's not that much, but there's something about it that um, allows, it may be chelating the all the little arteries that have grown up around the heart, the little tiny ones that can't be measured um, and maybe opening those up. So it allows for these accessory circulation, but it's not, it's not so dramatic on the angiogram as in this case, this is impressive improvement. When you're at 20% left, you can still function when you're at yes. 95% left or, you know, blocked, you cannot function very well. I believe it was 100% that they wrote on the report. Yeah. But there's other things too, because many patients either can't afford IVs or don't want to go through that. So there's other things, and I have, depending on what's really going on, and I'll look at diagnostic work from other facilities, but vitamin K2 is very effective in diminishing the placking and in increasing the relaxation as is nitric oxide so there's we have a whole retinue in the alternative world of things that can be very successfully used so my idea is i now want to do preventive work and that's really important in cardiovascular because we have all heard the stories of people that just finish their exam and walk out and drop dead on the threshold and and one of the things that maybe wasn't looked at are predictors independent predictors of a future event. And that would be homocysteine, which is hardly ever run anymore. And that is an individual predictor of a future event and particles. So these are the things that we want to look at to keep that patient from having an issue in the future or an event. And I've had several patients that that's what they wanted. They had family history. 
They wanted to not go down the same path. They were very determined. And so we looked at them. We looked at their family history and social history and stress level. But we looked at some of these deeper parameters to see if we had an issue coming up potentially or not. And when we know that information, it's good information because we can typically change it. You know, what's that good of information if you can't do anything with it? So that's what's exciting. We don't have to go from high risk, like my dad, we could go down to low risk because all of these things that are are bad are no longer being seen. And the other thing that I think we may be dealing with, well, I know that we're dealing with it, is inflammation. We have to consider inflammation rather than the number for cholesterol, because it's the inflammation that is the issue. And I remember specifically, and uh, one doctor was talking and he said, your, your cholesterol could be 610 and you still don't have a problem. It depends on how inflamed you are. And so sometimes I have to be aggressive in that realm. Do you measure inflammation with C-reactive protein or a sedimentation rate? Yes. And, and there are other um, softwares that can get an idea of what's, what's inflamed and Um, there's just, there's a lot of clues to it. And so if you learn to read the body and, and watch these things, then you're like, yeah, that that patient inflammation is an issue. She's, she's got technology that helps. She has machines that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars in her office, but, uh, we won't go into that today because we have so many other stories to tell. If that's okay. I just want to say in 2003, the Institute of Functional Medicine in, uh, Tucson, had a big, huge symposium on inflammation and how that is what the whole thing is about. And I thought for sure, oh, now the way that we work with heart disease, cardiovascular issues is going to change, but it really hasn't changed very much. So the inflammation is the foundation of uh, cancer, autoimmune diseases, neurological diseases, and arthritis and, uh, you know, Anyway, so that I was just going to editorialize. Yes. And that's why vitamin K2, I didn't understand this at first, but there's a 20% decrease in cancers. And I just couldn't grip that. I couldn't understand why. And then I realized it does have a very strong, not only the um, issues of protecting the the blood vessels, but it has a very strong anti-cancer effect. So So that's exciting. So I always think of K2 as being linked to vitamin D. Do you always, yes. you always look at D first and then you always give D, you give K2 in addition or yes. is it? Yeah. So, so that vitamin D wiki.com website talks about the vitamin D and you have to go and look at it. It's phenomenal. Henry Lahore is quite a character. If you haven't listened to our prior podcast have a listen because he's he's the most incredible vitamin geek vitamin d geek that i've ever met but this is the issue and and it goes on every time patients are given or they take on their own vitamin excuse me vitamin d3 and the published research that's been out at least 15 years says that will give you a small decrease, about 13% in hip fracture, but it will increase your cardiovascular mortality by 200% if you you don't take it with the K2. Yeah, and uh, obviously the 
proper doses have been withheld from us. I mean, the uh, the RDA is 600 uh, international units and the units have been changed so that it looks like you're taking this monster dose when you're taking very tiny, uh, tiny dose. And, uh, and Costco only sells 2,000 or 5,000 uh, units capsules and you're probably better off with a 25 uh, uh 50,000 international unit capsule which you can get yes that's is... what i take <laughs> well I, I just learned about it and i'm starting i i took about 250,000 uh, international units in one dose so i brought my levels up but we, we, we you can listen to the other um interview for more about that so you've got a lot of other stories tamara i mean i i've got a list of 12 different um things that you've treated uh you pick one unless you can't think of one and i'll i'll pick one out for you in that in that case okay <clears throat> so i had a patient that had a retinal bleed and it was quite serious they, they were under the care of ophthalmologist um, which I like. I like them to be under care of somebody that they can do any of these expensive tests that have to be done. And there's three things that we used with this patient, and they were the microcirculation nutrients, which, as I mentioned, go to cola, bilberry, and then also a, a ginkgo. And I use professional grade where they've shown, you know, these things are at the correct dosing. And we used high doses. Basically, when the patient went back, they were shocked because it had already started healing so well. And they, they, they went and got the senior doctors. This was at UVA. And they came in and wanted to ask that patient, what herbs did you take? Because it was such a remarkable healing. And that's where the patient also uh, exclaimed that their brain was working better. Well, we have a lot of microcirculation in the brain. So that was exciting, you know. Bilberry specifically for the eye. Maybe I need some bilberry. My vision is fading. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Bil I, bilberry! I'm already is awesome. on too many things. So uh, you okay. have a lot of other stories. Do you want to pick another one out, or should I uh, prompt you? Sure, I'll I'll talk about one of the patients that came in. She had had a collapsed vertebra. You know, a vertebra that. Uh, had osteoporosis, was in a lot of pain. And the first thing that I did was took her off of her calcium nutrients. She was taking a lot of calcium. And, you know, studies show that those countries with highest intakes of dairy have highest levels of osteoporosis. And so we gave her, or I gave her K2 to try to get her to be depositing some of that artery plaque back into the bones. Uh, let's see what I did. Uh, uh, the basics, strontium and boron. And there's a, there's a supplement out there that rebuilds the bone. And I had struggled with this for a long time. What do I what do I have in my in my toolkit that will rebuild the bone? So this particular company guarantees the only thing is that you have to get a pre scan dexa scan take the nutrients and then have a post that's the one um, that's the, over the counter in japan right or it's over the counter here and it's prescription in japan is that the yes. one i've forgotten that what's the yes. name of it algae cal Al that's the brand name what's the generic yes. do you remember no they just oh, okay i have it in hormone secrets 
Anyway, it's okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So sorry. That's that's basically um, and I had used this when I was an early practitioner. I've been working with nutrition almost 35 years. So sometimes things fall off the radar and I don't pick them back up. But I had always had good success with it. I had a, a lady, she was about 70, 77 or 78. This was when I was first practicing. And I gave her some support because I saw that her her mid back was curving, like, you know, they, when the fronts collapse of the vertebra. I didn't know anything about anything, really. But basically, not only did she have a terrible, horrific fall in the bathtub, she didn't break anything after she'd been on therapy for a couple of years. And her her white hair started getting color back, which I thought was really interesting. And I couldn't explain it to her at that time, but I told her, well, let's keep going. <laughs> That's to a me, big that deal. Sounds like, That's a yeah. big deal. Yeah. You know, the uh, that there are reports about that if you take melatonin. And, oh, yeah. you know, the listeners probably have heard this, but when patients' uh, CD4 count, when they have AIDS, drops below 200 many times their hair goes instantly white and it's a horrible indicator of how they're going to do so going in the reverse direction it sounds like science fiction but if it happens you know you're on the right track yes yes and that's what i kind of assume at that point 30 something years ago but it made sense to me at that at that point that was before the bisphosphonates, but right now they give them these horrible drugs. Um, I, I'm trying to remember a name of one of them, but they're they're injectables. Fosamax, yeah. They're injectables. They give them once a month. They cost ten thousand dollars, and okay. the doctor gets twenty five percent of the the cost of the drug for just injecting. It takes them like a half a second. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. It's like a kickback, a legal kickback. You know, it's like the cancer chemotherapy agents where the uh, doctor's income is over half, uh, kickbacks from the pharmacy company. And it's not, it's a legal, you know, it, for, it's an ex, exception to the rule. If you and I, uh, you know, it, it, for MDs, when one of them invents something and gives it somebody else for distribution, if it's a doctor, if they give them a percent, then it's called capping, which is a federal crime. In theory, you could go to jail. But in practice, I suppose it's a small crime compared to everything else that's going on now. So, and those drugs really are are difficult on the body. Oh, they're and, horrible. And once they're stopped, they can accelerate the bone loss. So we'd rather do something that that doesn't do that, have that effect. Um, <clears throat> they're associated, I think, with femur fractures. <laughs> oh, geez, can you imagine? Yeah. Anyway. Yes. Yeah, it's hard so to hard I, to imagine how bad they are. They do the reverse of what they're supposed to be doing. So one of the things that I see, and I've seen several times, um, and it's fairly rare compared to the opposite, but when the thyroid is over-functioning or, or hyper-thyroid. Graves disease. That can be a very dangerous situation. So I have one patient now, she's been with me and I keep an eye on her. However, she had severe headaches and trembling and, and, and different irritation and just different things that went on. And her chiropractor gave her some nutrients, she said, which helped a lot. And then she saw her, her medical doctor and he took her off the nutrients and put her on drugs, a prescription. And the prescriptions made her much worse, dramatically so. And, and I was kind of sad to hear her, but she said, I would sneak in a few of the nutrients when it got 
so bad to try to correct the symptoms, you know, the headaches and everything, and it would help. So, um, of course, as I've told you, I don't take them off their drugs, but I gave her support for her thyroid. And there are herbs that can kind of calm it down. And then I gave specific nutrients that we would give even with a hypothyroid patient. And she came back under control and she hasn't had much in the way of any symptoms, probably at least five years now. And, um, and that's kind of exciting. Her body uh, has done very well. And I think at this point, her doctor uh, had moved away and her new doctor just said, keep doing whatever you're doing. <laughs> so, so that was a happy ending. So the hyperthyroid or the high thyroid conditions are considered by most, uh, you know, regular MDs to be a specialist area to be treated by the endocrinologists and the in endocrinologists are very, uh, proprietary about their uh, their secret knowledge about this because th they treat the disease with uh, heavy hitting medications that knock out the thyroid the overactive thyroid and sometimes destroy the overactive thyroid and you know we've got one percent of the population who has a variant of this called graves disease so it's it's fairly common and it's political in the md world but if uh, if you can find somebody like dr tamara and they're not they're not easy to find. I think her skills are unusual. There are a lot of chiropractors that are just adjusting a whole string of people, uh, you know, 70 patients plus a day and making a lot of money. But, uh, but the, uh, the, the, uh, the actual medical treatments that, uh, Tamara does are, they're, they're unusual. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're quite effective if the person's knowledgeable and she, they're not allowed to call them treatments. <laughs> It's absurd. It's absurd, you know, but, but, you know, we got, got to play in the world we're in. Right. And, and, you know, I really admire, I admire my patients because they come in here and they're typically very prepared. Now I have those patients that just want me to be the boss and tell them what to do, but I tell them we're in the, we're, you and I are, you know, piloting the boat together. So I had a 20 year old, we have three colleges in the area and they were getting ready to take her thyroid. Um, and I was kind of astonished. She was very tiny, very slender, but that doesn't mean she couldn't have thyroid issue. And one of the best ways to tell about a thyroid issue is by measuring the temperature of the body at certain times of the day, which is known as Wilson's thyroid syndrome. And basically all we did in, the, in this clinic, all I did was give her nutrients to help change her inactive thyroid into an active thyroid. So there's main nutrients like zinc, selenium, iodine, and, and then mang manganese. And within a month, her thyroid was back working. Everything was fine. And there was no more talk of killing her thyroid off. <laughs> so to me, that's so, exciting because 20 years old, you know. <laughs> it's awful. So there she was hyperthyroid so they were going to remove part of it no, she was she was hypothyroid a low thyroid why were they going to take it out if she, it was low and they that's what they had decided they were going to do to alleviate the fatigue and whatever was going on she she wasn't and then her. and then supplement yes. all she needed was specific supplements and and you know it's not me the, her body does the healing i might have the knowledge to kind of guide it and help it but um, 
her and I don't interfere. I, I don't say to them, don't do that. But I said, let's try something first. You know, a lot of the times the patients have enough common sense that they ghost their doctors eventually. <laughs> I'm sure. Anyway, so tell us another one. You've got all these other stories. They're incredible. <laughs> oh, okay. <clears throat> Can cancer. How about a cancer story? Cancer. Okay. So I do not treat cancer. I do not. <laughs> but he says she doesn't treat cancer. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> I support, I support the patient because when they're getting radiation and chemo, it's very hard on the body. And so if we give them certain nutrition, certain um, homeopathics, whatever I give them because they're an individual, so it's going to vary. A lot of times they, they do so much better during their, their care. And many patients, the hair doesn't fall out which is really nice for them. Um, and sometimes I get the patient that has been basically sent home, that they're saying there's nothing more can do and the outcome is not, we don't expect it to be good. And if the patient has a fighting spirit, then there's so many things that we can do. And, and if it's a tough one, then we have to do a lot of stuff. We have to be very involved. Um, when I say we, the patient and I working together the patient's going to have research typically, or I explain, you know, the nutritional aspect of it. And that is, that's where we get the better results. So I do have um, a patient right now. I, matter of fact, she stepped in yesterday and I gave her a hug. She'd been battling a serious uh, abdominal cancer for probably five years now. And, and in the last year or year and a half, she's totally cancer free. Now, we understand that it can come back, but some of the basic things that we did might help it not to come back. And, and for example, just alkalinizing the body, you know, giving the body what it needs to detoxify, which, of course, we wouldn't do that when they're very ill, but as they've come out of it. So that's exciting to me because some people are so determined to live and there's no one to support them. And, and, and not give them false hope, but say, you know, we have this potential to help. Would you like to try it? And this is the research or, you know, what I've seen before. So the cancer patients are very gratifying. So what is the alkalinization process? You have them take bicarb. Yes. Yes. There's a whole big, uh, I don't want to say cult following, but there's a whole big group of people that are very involved in this and we want to keep the systemic part of the body we want to keep that more alkaline and then we want to keep the digestive tract we want that to be more acidic so once you start to understand the difference and then how we employ it that can be very effective it can be very effective treatment and um there i got you to say the out, t word she said the t word oh, <laughs> the treatment i didn't mean word. that no it can be well <laughs> it's it not treatment it's support yeah yeah it's support basically that's what it is and so nothing that i'm doing is infringing on what would be typical for a patient if they're under medical care in fact i kind of like that the one thing i don't like is where they're under medical care and they'll say don't take any supplements well, that might be hurting their chances of recovery. And there is a very good reason at times not to take certain supplements. And I understand that. Um, some cancers can be driven by glutathione, which we all make. Some can be 
driven by glycine or serine. At least this is what the literature says. So then I'm gonna be a little more careful with what we're doing with that patient. But I can understand their fight to get better and I applaud them and, and stand by them. So what is the what are the steps to alkalinize your body? Well, you know, basically, and I, we we start with the urinary and check the urine in the morning, for example. Then you can get a little more sophisticated and check it during the day. And then we get to the salivary part. So we're checking that. And you want um, just you can use the bicarb or their supplements, depending. You know, the bicarb, I think, is the easiest. Just drink some. And so this patient would come in for a visit and she would have that with her and describe what she's doing. And um, it's not a difficult procedure. That's what's exciting. It's half a teaspoon a of bicarb. patients are tired. Half a teaspoon of bicarb twice a day or what is, what is it? Yeah, more like a, usually a, a, a teaspoon. However, we may need a little more or we may not. And that's why you monitor, you monitor what's going on with the urine. You don't want urine. the body too alkaline. You want it, you want to have it, you know, in with an the, appropriate range. You monitor it with the urine dipstick, right? Is that it? Yes. And yes. you mix up that bicarb in water. I can't imagine eating it straight. Yes. You put it in a well, glass when of water. You're, when you're, yeah. And when you're dying and you're willing to do things like that, then, then we're really looking for good outcomes. Well, that's that's a wonderful story about a complete remission. Um, yes, <laughs> you you. It's had... not that I've done it. I in that case, I give the patient so much credit because not only are they compliant, but they're in the trenches doing the research themselves. So that you know, I mean, not that they're they they're knowing what's going on, and so. I could bring her on here. She could probably speak to you, you know, in depth, you know, as to what the things that she did at home, but Hey, yes, let's go for it. I, one time I was at a conference on cancer and they had in between every speaker, they had, they had a total, I believe of 16 stage four cancer survivors that got up for just a couple moments in between and talked about how, you know, what, how, what they had and how they, how long they've been cancer free. And I thought that was amazing. I was really, really thrilled to hear these people. Tell us a couple other uh, stories about your cancer support <laughs> supports. I won't say cures or treatment, but um, you've, you've had a remarkable series of patient interactions. And if you don't mind, uh, if you can come up with another one or two off of your memory, that'd be great before we go on to more rheumatic diseases. Okay. So, one thing that we want to be paying attention to that, that is called angiogenesis. So many times what the cancer cells do is they reach out to a vascular supply so they can get their, their nutrition that way. You know, the, these creepy little uh, cancer cells. So if we can stop that, and it's called anti-angiogenesis, then they may not be able to get that supply to feed themselves. So what I do typically is I'll use four or five um, herbs. I use Chinese herbs that are in combination. So they all have a number of things and they're, they may be anti-angiogenic or uh, immune supporting like a mushroom, like reishi or uh, cordyceps, um, vitamin K2. There's different things that we, we use, asparagus uh, extract, which is really good for mediastinal tumors and um, 
again, we're supporting whatever's going on in the body. So that, yeah, that's what, it, that's what we're doing. And, you know, to me, I think that that raises or elevates the chances of survival dramatically. So you've because, seen re regression of these stage four cancers many times. Yes. Yes. And my, one of my main mentors that I think is probably one of the best healers in the world, uh, he healed himself in the 1990s of a stage four cancer. And uh, then he's gone on to teach other physicians at the academy, Lee Cowden. All right. Um, so should we go on to another disease? How about neuropathy? Sure. Neuropathy. Oh, yeah. So neuropathy is really interesting. I'm, I'm kind of a minimalist. If we can get away with the less, the better. Sometimes you have to do more. But with neuropathy, what we'll do is we'll start with the nutrition. And um, maybe I'm going to give them things like alpha-lipoic acid to help the neuropathy. And then there's uh, something that is from the Chinese botanical line, vein light, that decreases neuropathy by 79%. That's the, st that's the shown statistic. And maybe um, if, if it's heavy metal neuropathy, then I might want to be doing some detox, some uh, if it's a diabetic neuropathy, we're going to work from that realm. We might use things like chromium or berberine. And then um, then I, I think, depending if it's very extensive neuropathy or if it's, um, you know, B12, we're going to use, they have footlights, red lights that you stick your feet in for 20 minutes twice a day. There's a, there's a tool called a beamer, which enhances the microcirculation. Because these patients not only lose the functioning of the nerve, but they get the microcirculation gets compromised. So that if, if the patient can afford that is like one of the best neuropathy tools. And then there's other there's other things, you know, and part of it is, excuse me, part of it is basically what is the patient's tolerance and budget to do some of these extra things. But some of them are very simple, the, the nutrients and then the maybe nitric oxide, um, the alpha lipoic acid that I just mentioned is really important too in neuropathy. Yeah. I just read that book about, uh, alpha lipoic acid being used for all kinds of liver disease and regenerating, uh, <laughs> regenerating livers that had been knocked off with uh, all kinds of things and, and, re and curing, uh, pancreatic cancer and that guy in, uh, New Mexico. He's yes. Yes. Um, his, his work is phenomenal. So you, you've been at conferences oh. where he lectured. You've been at conferences where he, Burke, is that his name? Bert, Bert Berkson. Bert Berkson. Yeah. And that he's got a book about uh, alpha lipoic acid, which is yes. not new, but it's uh, it's a stunning story. He, he was tasked with trying to treat a couple of people who had lost their livers due to a mushroom uh, poisoning in Cleveland. And he, the, the mentor, his mentors thought these people would die. And when he cured them, they were pissed. I can't, I mean, the ethics of this is just beyond imagination. And so he became a, uh, he was a PhD researcher. So he had an independent thought process, which is different than most doctors who typically follow the, follow the herd or follow the leader. And so he, he eventually uh, has a, 
developed a clinic in New Mexico and he treats a lot of stuff and it sounds miraculous as does what you're talking about, uh, to somebody who's trained like me. In fact, it pisses me off a little. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the reason he got in trouble when, with that, he had been assigned to basically, I heard this right from his mouth, um, at Boulder Fest. He was assigned to watch the dying process, but he was thinking the whole time, what could I do? And I think that's an important thought process. And, and he, he actually had he obtained the stuff. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, you okay. He actually had some lipoic acid flown. The pilot, I believe, carried it and brought it to him. And, you know, it started healing the liver, which was being destroyed because they had eaten the wrong types of mushrooms. And he was scolded and, and reprimanded. And and then this happened again several months later. And he was told, Don't you dare do anything. And he said he he made that commitment to himself, but then as he watched them both dying, the young husband, wife, he decided he had to do something <laughs> and he gave them, gave them the alpha lipoic acid and they both survived. And he would have probably been fired, except by that time, the story had gotten out and he was going to be like the keynote speaker in a big conference. <laughs> so they didn't fire him. <laughs> he's he's but, a re yes, remarkable. That's really good. When you look at these stories from the outside, when you don't have a guide like Dr. Tamara, you wonder how many of these people are just complete frauds. And I've come to the conclusion that there are very few complete frauds, although a lot of alternative people have a hard time describing exactly what's working or how they do it. Um, the treatments are quite effective. And I use treatments because I can use treatments. You're not supposed to say the T word. <laughs> But uh, in, anyway, I mean, it's it's shocking and disheartening to me to think that I've had my ladder leaned up against the wrong tree, almost an unethical tree my whole career. You know, you know, you probably are aware of the statistic that the 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 estimate of the number of people killed each year in the United States by improper medical treatments of all kind are around 250,000. Well, this, you know, suicides, for example, are less than 50,000 a year. And so this, the, our collective medical malfeasance or improper treatments and the drugs we use uh, collectively is probably the first or the second biggest killer in America after maybe after cancer. So Anyway. And at one point, it's called iatrogenic disease, where it's created by the doctor. Or, And this is what we've seen. I don't want to get too deep into the political aspect of it. But with these vaccines that are not fully what have been described, you know, I think we've seen a lot of issues with this. I've heard you mention uh, an interesting statistic about people, how many people don't take their their Oh yeah. Drugs. There are these studies. This is hilarious. It just goes, it draws into question our, the trust or the whatever, but it's about a quarter of all drugs are never taken as prescribed, including fascinatingly the anti-rejection drugs for the kidney transplants that keep the people from losing their kidney and having to go back on dialysis. They don't even take the, they don't even take the, because they're some, some of these things have unpleasant side effects and some, sometimes the patient's confidence in the whole thing is so low that they, they just throw the drugs away and good riddance as far as I'm concerned. I'm convinced that well over half of our medications that we use uh, are ineffective as used and uh, probably three quarters or nine tenths of them could be uh, 
could be replaced by, uh, you know, alternative herbs and other things that are very old, very uh, not as well described, not as well studied, uh, but probably lacking in all the study fraud that surrounds the uh, traditional uh, prescriptions and proprietary medicines that, you know, with all the money associated with them, the insurance reimbursement, the whole ball of wax. And, and part of that goes back to, sadly, the financial aspect of it, because if it's something that is not able to be patented, the drug companies are not interested in the research, and basically because of that. So thank you for you know sharing that. The doctors think that they're on the medication and they're not. They're and not. So, so you've seen that. Uh, you you you've got you know, the ones that you get them started on uh, on your treatments. Your treatments. The T word again. And they they, uh, they ghost their other doctors, but they still go in for social reasons and see the doctor and claim they're taking the drugs. So. So do you have a few more stories that come to mind? I have one that's really interesting. And I did not, I loved the patient, but I didn't like the situation. It was a 20 year old college student here in town. um, And he came in, the parents called me and, and kind of basically grilled me ahead of time. He was under the care of the school doctor, but he came in because his whole life at school had totally collapsed. He said if he could get up by five o'clock in the day, he stopped going to classes. He stopped his sports activities and he was very depressed. Um, They had tried some medications on him. He basically had lost his initiative, which to me was a very big clue. And I didn't, you know, I'm a, a require mandated reporter, so I didn't know if I wanted to take this patient on, but I felt really strongly that he needed help. Tamara's and, referring to her requirement if he is suicidal to tell the cops and all that mandated reporting for suicide, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So go ahead. And, Sorry. So anxiety of the yin yang and and depression, and so I what I did was I gave him my telephone number. So he, I told him, I said, call me anytime, day and night, and I'll get you help. And um, turns out college students like to stay up really late. So that <laughs> might have not been the best decision. But what we did, and, and the father and the mother were just wonderful. They were, they were my co-workers, is that we gave him brain support. We gave him um, probably six different nutrients, which is a lot when you think about a college student. And his mother had set up the way that he would eat in the apartment or at the school. And then the last thing that I did, which I think I really had a problem with the dad understanding this, even though he was extremely brilliant, was that I gave him thyroid support. So here's a young 20 year old and, you know, under stress. So he's going to need some adrenal support. And I gave him like the top notch adrenal support I could find. And then I gave him some gentle thyroid support because when a patient says loss of initiative, immediately you think thyroid and thyroid, we're not necessarily talking about a pathological situation where the thyroid is, is diseased and has something has to be done to it. We're talking about some of these more or, or subtle changes that, you can do things to support the thyroid. And that's what we did. And within a month, he was a new person. 
And believe me, I was really relieved, very relieved. And he started going back to school and was able to come back the next year and did really well and graduated. And now he's overseas working with a charitable organization. And, and um, I couldn't be prouder of this, this patient. How long did he take those herbs? How long did he take that the different medications? And how many did you give him? Five or six? Yes, I gave him at least five or six. Um, I gave one is specifically for this type of situation. I, I don't carry it in our wellness shop, but he could get it directly from the company. And um, he responded so fast. I gave him some special oils, DHA for the brain, so fast that I was kind of amazed. The parents came down to visit and they were all in my office. And I was just amazed how quickly he started returning. So, you know, I at first I thought, well, maybe we have a more serious situation, but he was already seeing the psychiatrist and they really hadn't done much. In fact, he, the, the medicine, he said, did not help him at all. Um, but, you know, in these type of situations, I'm watching closely. I tell the patient, come in, leave me a note how you're doing, text me, that type of thing, because I am not afraid to refer them and work with somebody in the outside realm too. Anything for the benefit of the patient. So the psych meds, just uh, to, my listeners probably have gotten this lesson before, but they in, the entire psych formulary has never been subjected to placebo-controlled trials. It's an outrage. And what this means is that they absolutely don't work. And when you look at them, they universally create addiction. There's one whole class that decreases lifespan by 10 to 20 years. That's the atypical uh, antipsychotics. The SSRIs like Prozac create these situations of violence and suicide. And the worst thing of all is these psychiatrists are such great salespeople with the pharma influences and all that, that we have 25% of the entire and I want to use an obscenity here, population on these medications. So that means if you're involved in a, a road rage incident, you'd better, you'd better apologize and, and kiss everybody's backside because you don't know who's taking these medicines and are unpredictably violent. I mean, that's, that's what SSRIs do in some cases. And it just turns people into, uh, you know, and then you throw in a few hormonal issues uh, and, and the, the people are unpredictable. Yes. Yes. And totally agree. Um, we want to do whatever we can, but we want to do something that seriously works and works well when you have a patient like this. And, and I'll tell you another one, because this is so common, uh, patients with anxiety, very, very common situation. And um, I've had two episodes lasting maybe a minute in my lifetime, like a little anxiety splurge. And I tell you, I remember them very specifically, and it's not a good feeling. You, you, and so you I have, had a patient you have was, led, you have led a charmed life. <laughs> no anxiety. You must have, there must be a magical trick for that. Anyway, go ahead. She's not a transdental meditator. She doesn't uh, recite the rosary, uh, but she's only had um, anxiety for two one minute sections in her whole life. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry to interject. No, that's quite right. So I had a patient that we were working with two more serious, if so, you know, if issues, but he had mentioned it twice about this anxiety. And so finally, finally, he texted me like 
he's an early riser, six o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, oh, but I said, well, you know what? Why don't you come in and we'll just focus on that issue today or whatever day we got him in. And when we, we made that whole thing about this issue, he started telling me things that I really hadn't heard from him. And one of them was how um, it was rampant throughout his family. So, you know, even though I'm blonde, I actually had some thoughts on that, that maybe, maybe this was a genetic proclivity because, you know, epigenetically 80% of illnesses can be averted or, you know, supported. So you don't have to come. They did a big, huge twin study in, in Europe, in Scandinavia. So I okay, thought to translate, to translate that for the listeners, the epigenetic idea is that you can modify things that are genetically programmed or part of your body with environmental factors like food and exercise and supplements and, yes, and then cha good. change your behavior and change what the outcomes. Sorry. So our gene studies are good, but, but learning what can change them, turn them on or turn them off. That type of thing I think is even more important. And so coming to that realization, what we did was we added two basic nutrients. And one of them was zinc, because zinc activates the next one, which was P5P, which is the, the active form of um, B6. And then literally, and I, this always shocks me, within the week, maybe a little long, but I don't think so. He's saying the anxiety has been reduced by 90%. And and the other 10% comes from the other issue that we're working on. And I'm, I see this so much and it's amazing. If you hit the mark and support that process that was creating anxiety, um, it could be very fast. <laughs> and that's what patients want to know. Can you help me? And how long is it going to take? Oh my God. Well, we'll have to chat about this after we get off here because uh, I live in a world of anger and fear. <laughs> so that's oh, my, okay. I know I sound pretty, I'm, 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 I'm serious about that. I'm, I'm angry about what's going on and afraid about it. And it's, it's a drag on my productivity anyway. So go ahead. Well, and it is, and not only that, it also affects your body. So those emotions that are negative, um, they, they can hurt your body. Your blood vessels are going to change and, and that type of thing. Have you so, heard of that EFT, the emotional freedom technique that Mercola always talks about? Yes. So tell me yes. about that. Is there any validity to that? Oh, yes, there absolutely is. Um, I just don't happen to use that in my practice, but the emotional side is extremely important. I use, I use a different techniques uh, where you use voice and you see what areas need to be worked on and, and do a little different thing there. But that brings up a really good point. I believe that very likely, especially in these serious illnesses and in especially cancer patients, you need to work through these emotions that are really negative. And it, if you don't, it will hold you back from healing. And this is really well known in Europe. When you have cancer, if you're holding on to anger and, and, and hatred and fear, this affects the, the physiological functioning of your body. And the other part to that is if you want to get treated naturally in Europe, many times the first stop for you is going to be a biological dentist, which 
is correct because it's going to evaluate things that would keep you from healing. And the body wants to heal. We just need to remove those blockages. Yeah, I from what little I know from my from my very brief study of uh, alternative medicine, I think that the diet is the most important, and the second most important is look in their mouth. You know, it's probably more important than exercise. But you just have a look and see if they've got any horrible problems in there. No, I didn't know you had three root canals. That's just oh nasty yes you know <laughs> and we think we're doing the correct thing you know for your children when you give them you know you get them feelings or at least those children of you know in the 60s and 70s and you got every vaccine that was you know had adjuncts of mercury and all of this and and this is a cute little tiny story so i'm going to digress for 30 seconds but my son uh came home from visiting his dad and they had taken him to the dentist and they had put a filling, a silver filling. And he, he at whatever age, six years old, already knew. And he's like, mom, how can I get rid of this? <laughs> and so I'm like, well, well, we'll get rid of it. Don't you worry, sweetheart. <laughs> but he was already aware of the ramifications of that. It was you drill, know, I think drill, was fill, drill, fill, and bill is, was the, the, the motto of those guys. And they used to stick sharp dental instruments into the teeth, trying to find something that seemed a little soft to drill a hole in. And I was a victim of this. I got 17 of these things between the ages of probably eight and 12. I mean, we had a crazy dentist and my mother thought, you know, she practically leg manacled me to the chair to stay in there and get them all drilled out. I mean, it was just terrible. And that's, yes. that's well, what I had taken out. If There's you go 54% on YouTube, mercury, 54% yes, mercury. Yes. And so why aren't they called mercury fillings? Yeah. Marketing. If you go on YouTube, there's a, a very, they have a long version, but a brief version of it's, it's called smoking tooth. And you'll see a tooth that's been removed from the body for something like 20, 25 years. And when they put friction against it, you can see, because they have a special background, you can see the mercury smoke coming out of it. Green really smoke. interesting. And that just goes right up into the brain. And so when you have your fillings taken out, you have to have it done correctly because if they're just drilling without the proper procedures, this stuff affects the brain. And we want to make sure we get that out before it goes up. <laughs> yeah. I. <laughs> you need an, what is it? I-A-O-M-T dentist. And I forget what it stands for. And you can look at my posts about the dental the dental profession, I call them a profession. The dental apostasy is what they actually are. Well, well do you want, go ahead. I was going to say, and this is really important. Otherwise I wouldn't bring it up, but there is, I, I have four or five books, but there's one specific book and it's called The Garbage Collector. Yeah. And that, I reviewed if you're that. interested in learning about this, that is really an excellent book to learn from. It's very detailed and explains why these things affect us, why they give us cancers or contribute to cancers and why they give us neurological issues. Very, very good book. Matter Robert, of fact, I have mine somewhere yeah. on the, on the Robert, what's his Robert, name, Robert, Robert Gamel, G-A-M-M-A-L. He's from okay. Australia and I actually interviewed him and you can listen to a podcast about him and in my collection of tearing down the dentist, dentist posts. The, the, going back to that EFT emotional freedom technique, um, Mercola recommended that for rheumatoid arthritis. And he said that the rheumatoids universally had some psychological disturbance. And, you know, my cynicism about, <clears throat> you know, woo-woo um, 
psychological techniques was so high that when I wrote the post about it, I discredited that. Uh, but I, there may be something to it, and I'll have to have a better look at it. Oh, yeah, there definitely is. But there's several different techniques. Um, his, I believe, involves tapping. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't, wouldn't want to comment. And so basically, you're retraining the brain. It's like certain types of breathing can affect your your nerve, your big nerve, vagus nerve that's related to stress or fight or flight, you know, or, or relaxation and healing. So there's the, the, all these unusual things, but many people have studied them and they work. They say they work. <laughs> you know why? Anyway, I'm yes. very cynical about that stuff. It's all—it's like saying those psych drugs work. Uh, there's no, there's never been a study. Oh. There's never been a study, never been a study with a control. So do you have another couple of anecdotes or another anecdote that you want to bring up before we uh, sign off here, Tamara? I'm grateful oh, for yeah. your time. And yeah, <laughs> I have a really interesting one. This is kind of a cute story. And um, I had a patient that I had seen, you know, here and there. I don't make them come in like on a regular schedule necessarily, but enough so that I know, are they developing something that I need to kind of keep an eye on? or work with. This patient came in, called up, needed to be in right away. So um, I had always thought that if you're a nutritional practitioner, you're not going to have emergencies, but I, I'm going to tell you that's not true. So he came in, it was a Monday morning, and he said, I've been in the hospital all weekend because I got sick very suddenly. And when they put me in the hospital, they discovered that my my hemoglobin A1C was over 15 and that I was a serious diabetic. So I said, okay, well, why don't we, you know, he had an appointment. He was told to follow up with his doctor and he had an appointment, but he came to me first and then his appointment. So we talked about things that he could do in the natural realm. And he said, I want to do it. So we, we started about three or four things, got a lot of liver support for the diabetes and gave him the, the nutrients like chromium and or vanadium and um, herbs like ashwagandha and, and got him started. And then he went to his physician and who, by the way, happens to be a personal friend of mine. And he heard what they told him to do. They gave him two or three or four prescriptions. He did not do that. Now, remember, my job is not to tell him yes or no. I don't even comment. So he decided to do the nutritional route. And his, his whole life, he's been more into an alternative method. And I think he went back every week or every two weeks. And as he went back, they kept taking him off of a prescription. So by he'd the end quit. of- you know, He'd already quit all his drugs though. See, no, he went he'd in- never taken any. He'd never taken any. So he went he'd in never for the taken social- any. So they, he would go back and he was so improved. They would, they took him off of insulin and then they took him off metformin. And by the end of six or eight weeks, he wasn't on any medications. And she, she this is a nurse practitioner. She had her doctor come in and, and look at this patient and says, we've never seen this before. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, so at the end he was no longer taking the drugs that he was no longer, that he had never taken. <laughs> but um, I said, why didn't you share with her? And, and probably, uh, it was a good thing because she's very anti-nutrient. So he might've sensed that and not wanted to, but he's done very extremely well, you know, and now I, I forget how far we are. We're at least probably 
two years down the road. And um, when you get a patient that's early diabetic or especially pre-diabetic, it's so much easier to turn or reverse or to support. So that was an exciting story. I thought that was, you know, kind of funny that I know this person, I know how they think. And, you know, he, he went like a good compliant patient, but he had never taken anything, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and I don't encourage that behavior, <laughs> but if it happens, it, that's what the patient's choice is. I'm still there supporting them. I'm not going to kick them out on the porch. <laughs> he wanted the social interactions of hanging out with a doctor for 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it could be. <laughs> I wonder how many people have done that to me, you know? Yes, could be. <laughs> I, I'm not much of a salesman. I, I, he, you try to sell them on whatever you believe in anyway. So uh, Tamara, you do virtual consultations, don't you? I do. I really like to see the patient. And I have patients that have come from literally just about every part of the um, country. Not Europe so much, but I'm not, you know, I'm kind of quiet and, and I don't do a lot of, I just started a, a small blog. But I like to see the patient because um, I'm looking at different clues. I'm looking for ear creases. I'm looking at their tongue. I'm looking under the tongue to see if we have, you know, swollen uh, blood vessels there. And if we have red dots for, um, you know, liver, or if we have red dots for heavy metals and, and then on the body and that. So I really like to see them. I learn so much. And then I can do some of my, use some of my software. I, some of it I can use long distance, but some of it I actually uh, do in office. And, and so I have a really good sense when I meet someone and we spend some time together, you know, are they hopeful? Are they disheartened? What's going on? And that's an important part of the healing process is knowing, you know, who you're working with and, and how they're, you know, structured in terms of what, what they're feeling and knowing that I'm being, I'm there to be supportive of them. And so I do have patients that I've never met and, uh, that I love and adore, but I've never met them, but I try not to let that be the case. So uh, what uh, Dr. Tamara just mentioned at the beginning of this was the, some physical signs that are, that were at least for standard MDs, part of the physical diagnosis. And they were, I remember some of them from a little brown book of physical diagnosis that I carried around when I was an intern. And the ear crease is a marker for coronary artery disease and the angiomas yes. can be liver disease. Isn't that correct? The yes. little uh, and it also, cherry yes. angiomas. It yeah. also could mean that the body isn't processing, like it's not conjugating the hormone breakdown products correctly. And so um, you're going to look at the fingernails. If the fingernails are ridged, it could be very likely that they're not, they don't have enough uh, digestive acid to break down the proteins and help the minerals be at the correct pH to be absorbed. So these little clues tell, tell you a lot, you know, they might be eating very well. And yet like this patient, I said, that was 20 years old, ate extremely well. His mother was a diligent, healthy cook and would send him back to school with healthy meals. And when I ran a uh, assessment, a blood assessment as to what nutrients were missing, I was absolutely flabbergasted. Does that give my age away? No, <laughs> I was flabbergasted because um, there were so many deficiencies and insufficiencies. So obviously there had been a digestive ability that was diminished. 
So some of these things might have occurred because over time he didn't get what he needed, even though it was good food. Well, you know, your your verbiage was easier to tolerate this time because I've gotten into some of it. Uh, and I really appreciate you being patient with me uh, about my uh, reticence to pick up any of this stuff. And you can see me cringe sometimes when I hear some of this verbiage. Now, nobody's perfect. And I'm sure um, naturopaths do things that don't work. But uh, in some I think they're doing a much better job than the allopaths. I mean, it seems clear to me that our our thing is such a disaster now. It's so expensive. It's twice per person what any other country in the world spends. So much of it's invasive and so much of it is done for small statistical improvements um, that uh, that you, you guys are doing great work. And I, I, as much as, as painful as it is to come to the realization that this other, this other thing is such a mess and that, um, that, that good work is still being done by the uh, naturopath community. Um, I, I have to say, uh, I'm happy to finally learn some of it. And I, I hope we can hang out together a little more, you know, on the phone and, uh, you can train me a little, a little more Tamara. Thank you. Yes. And I've invited you to come and watch, you know, follow and see what the patients, how it works and um, and what the patients are saying. Because I think when you get that positive feedback, um, that's worth it all, you know. I'll eventually do that and try to learn a little more first. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it gives you a, a real purpose in your life, you know, another purpose. So where um, can people find you? Tell the name of your clinic and you can say your phone number. We'll put it in the show notes, of course. But do uh, you have a web address that they should go to? Yes. Um, so the web site is www.vitalenergynutrition.com. That's the name of my practice in Lexington, Virginia. I'm the only Santa Ana around. In fact, sadly, I'm, I think I'm the only alternative or integrative practitioner here. So if you ask, or you type in Santa Ana with one N, you're going to find me. <laughs> name for the general. Name yes. for the general. Well, yes. thank you. Thank you for coming and uh, being on the show. I'll give you a call and we can debrief. Thank, thanks so much, uh, Tamara. Okay. You're very welcome. It was okay. a pleasure. Thank you. Bye.